Hey, this is Carl Franklin. Richard and I recorded this show in front of a live audience at Keto Fest Down Under, but the recording was lost. However, we discovered that another recording was made on a portable device at the back of the room. We wrestled with whether or not to publish it. It doesn't sound good at all, but in the end, we decided the content was too good not to publish. So, with our apologies for the bad sound quality, we present this episode of Two Keto Dudes Live from Keto Fest Down Under. Welcome back to Two Keto News. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. Yeah, but you're not in Connecticut, I No, I'm not. You're in Canberra, Australia. That's right. And we're here at Keto Fest Down Under. <laughs> with Big Throng. <laughs> yeah, we had a good day. We did. It was great. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I first want to tell you that in February 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. And in just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm 80 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in uh, Canberra, Australia. <laughs> and apparently I've just been invited to become the new Prime Minister of Australia. But I've been on a ketogenic diet since April 2014. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. And in six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease have disappeared. I've lost about 100 pounds, so I've completely turned my health around. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Mm, and reversing diabetes. Absolutely. And hopefully this might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give out any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of the technical detail, are we, Carl? I ain't no bloody galah. <laughs> <laughs> We have done some, some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them. We share studies that we found in the show notes. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Well, not today, I'm full. Yeah. <laughs> it's got the keto-itis. Uh, well, anyway, we love to cook and we love to eat. In every episode, we share a keto recipe. That cannot be ignored. That cannot be ignored. Not today. So let's start podcast number 135. Live from Keto Fest Down Under with Paul Mason. Could you save your due for a little? So, Richard, do we have any apologies or corrections from last week's show? Uh, last week's show was number 134 with uh, Nadia Padiguana, Kuja Naturopath. Uh, the only apology I have is for the car noise. Uh, I live kind of close to uh, the Jindera Highway. Oh, yeah. And so I apologize for the cars going past. Oh, recording that. That's all right. We didn't give them a, a release. So <laughs> they, yeah. Well, uh, let's revisit what a ketogenic diet is. A ketogenic diet is one that puts you in a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. Mm -hmm. And one surefire way to do that is to reduce your carbohydrates to 20 grams a day or, or less. Mm -hmm. Uh, to use moderate protein, we used one to one and a half grams of protein for every kilogram of lean body mass that we have, yeah. and all of our energy we get from fast. 
I know all the bits. I do. I know. Great audience. Well, let's see the fat that's on your plate in the back. Now, Krispy Kreme donut. Great jacket, I go. So, uh, if you're just starting, listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com. It'll fill you in. Come on back when you're done. So, buddy, how was your week? Uh, it was awesome. Uh, we had a keto fest down under in Australia. This is the first time we've gone international with keto fest. Yeah. Uh, so, very proud to you know, do it my own hometown. So. Yeah. Um, that was awesome. I've had no sleep tonight, last night, so yeah. I'm running on fumes. <laughs> yeah, and then it, it, this is the last event of the day, and yeah. so it's done. Yeah. So basically, we go home from here, pack up, kick back, and do a little post mortem, and, mm -hmm. and it's going to be good. Yeah. But we just recorded the intro outro for last week's show just a couple of nights ago on your sure. back porch. Right. So not a lot has changed. No. Yeah. How's your week? What do you think about keto versus? I thought. I thought it was great. You had the genuine keto first experience? Yeah, absolutely. What do you, what do you guys think? Yeah. And they got truffle ice cream. That is the truffle ice cream talking. Yeah, right. Oh, no, it was awesome. And uh, it was also great because you did most of the work. <laughs> well, okay, we'll see how you go next year. Yeah, it's just going to keep getting bigger. It's great. Well, uh, let's give away some swag. Sure. Every week we uh, pick a lucky winner from members of our two community fan club. Today, that was no different. We're giving away a treasure trove of stuff from vendors we like, all of which you can find at fanclub.2keto.com. We also need to mention a caveat. Most of our vendors can only ship inside the U.S. So, uh, you know, if, you have, if we happen to pick up somebody outside the U.S., uh, we'll find something to send you, uh, but it probably won't be the treasure trove. Um, that is an, until we can find an affordable means of distribution. And you do have somebody that has a product that you want to give away here, right? Yeah, there's, so there's two people uh, who are interested in being involved in it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, one, of the, one of them is uh, Tazzy Tallow, who, who uh, provided the, the duck fat for today's meal. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, uh, we need to pick a winner. Yeah, so who was our winner this week? Today's winner is Peter Swarovski. Peter as well. Sure. Well, the first thing we give away is a two Keto Dudes coffee mug with our mugs on it that says Keep Calm and Keto On. Also, a signed copy of Lies My Doctor Told Me by Dr. Ken Berry online at lies.2keto.com. And a bottle of Stevia Sweet Barbecue Sauce, developed by a barbecue restaurant owner who plans to change the restaurant industry forever. Only two grams of carbs per serving online at steviasweetbbq.com. And a cheese main kit from Wine and Way, Pam Zorn, who gave everybody a Keto Fest in the US, a kit, so that they can make their own fresh mozzarella. That's online at wineandway.com. That's W-I-N-E-A-N-D-W-H-E-Y.com. And a six-ounce cup of beef bone broth concentrate from Birthright Nutrition. Just add water, heat, stir, sip, and enjoy. Jam-packed with good stuff. More at birthrightnutrition.com. We're also giving away a bottle of Remag Magnesium Solution developed by Dr. Carolyn D, along with a copy of the Protocol and the Keto Magnesium Manifesto. That's on, available online at magnarental.com. And we're also giving away a big bottle of fasting drops from Keto Chow. It's a well-formulated blend of electrolytes. Just drop a little in your water. Fasting is a breeze. Online at fastingdrops.2keto.com. And two bottles of Sated, one chocolate, one vanilla, online at sated.2keto.com. And from Keto & Co, a sampler six-pack, a bag of brownies, four bags of different flavored cauliflower rices, and a bag of flatbread, online at ketoand.co. 
And if you don't want to wait to win some swag, you can buy all sorts of it online at gear.2kilo.com. And that brings us squarely to the section that we call... That's right. So we, we're just going to field a few questions. Hi, please can you give us some guidance on how much salt we should be taking? Are you eating carbs? Uh, no. Well, very little carbs. Very little carbs. Uh, this, this is a question from Jane. Question for uh, for the doctor, I think. Mm -hmm. We should introduce Dr. Paul Mason. We'll introduce him later on. In sure. Day, but, uh, we'll yeah. let him speak without <laughs> credentials. <laughs> so, in terms of how much salt you should have, I ask everybody to monitor for symptoms. So there's very good evidence that if you're having at least four to six grams of sodium a day, which is equivalent to you know, about 10 or 15 grams of table salt a day, then that's associated with the lowest all-cause mortality. But on a ketogenic diet, because your insulin level is so much lower, the kidneys don't hold on to sodium efficiently. So you know, it's likely that that amount of sodium you need is more. So what I tell my patients is I say, monitor yourself the symptoms of sodium deficiency. So if you have dry eyes, if you have what we call medically postural hypotension, do you feel a bit lightheaded or dizzy when you stand up? Do you have thirst? Could be the bourbon. <laughs> this is true. I actually feel like they're dizzy when I fall over. <laughs> it's not as thick as you drunk we are, so... <laughs> So, so if you <laughs> so if you feel thirsty, but when you drink a lot of water, your body doesn't seem to hold on to it. It just passes through you, and you just start urinating a lot more. This is because sodium is what actually holds fluid to the body, and without enough sodium, you can't hold on to that excess water. So, I guess the term would be unquenchable thirst. That's another symptom of sodium deficiency. And muscle cramps is another one. We always talk about magnesium. But sodium is well known to, in a deficient state, to be associated with cramps. So if you have any of those symptoms, then I would suggest that it's worth considering, and don't take this as medical advice, but it's worth considering whether you're having a sufficient sodium intake. But at the very least, on a healthy, non-processed food diet, it's very, very easy to come in under that four to six grams of sodium a day because you're not having any processed foods. If you're on a ketogenic diet and your, your insulin is low, is there a cap? Like, from what I understand, your kidneys will just continue to flush salt if you have too much. So, uh, I think I'd probably agree with that. So, when I was in medical school, uh, I was sitting through these lovely lectures of renal physiology, and it's the kind of lecture that makes you want to stab yourself in the arm with one pencil. But, um, you know, if you sit through that, the take-home message was that if your kidneys are working properly, if you put excess salt into the body or excess sodium into the body, your kidneys will deal with it. And when I was a junior doctor and I was uh, vacillating over how much potassium and sodium I should give patients in uh, their IV bags, a more experienced doctor looked at me and goes, even the dumbest kidney is smarter than the brightest intern. And he, he, he fair to me, looked at me and said that. And that's actually true. So the body will regulate salt relatively efficiently. If you put too much in and you're not hyperinsulinemic, that's if you have normal insulin levels, then your kidneys will deal with it. If you're diabetic, high insulin levels, all bets are off. 
All right, I'm going to go down into the audience for another question. Who's got a question? Anybody? Anyway, all right, here we go. Hi, uh, my name is Nico. Uh, just one question about uh, the glucose, uh, blood glucose levels in the, in the morning. Uh, why are they often very uh, much higher than, uh, than the evening ones? Great question. I'm happy to uh, have a take a stab at that and then we'll let Paul uh, tell you exactly what it means. So, so, um, so over the night, you, your, your, your body is going into a lower energy state and so it's, it's at the beginning of the, the morning when you need to start waking up. From an evolutionary perspective, you needed to wake up to be alert uh, because you, know, you needed to watch out for the saber-toothed tiger. Your body would make all these uh, hormones that would fight flight hormones that would get you up quickly. Um, uh, and, and basically to, to, to wake up and get you up quickly. That also basically causes you to make glucose. So, you know, it, it's part of just getting ready for the day. Your body is going to make make extra amount of glucose just to get you started. Out of the park, I think, Richard, that's exactly the case. We call it the dawn phenomenon. So we see that this, uh, what we call diurnal, which means uh, across the 24-hour period, there's always a spike in blood glucose in the morning, and it's due to this hormone called cortisol. It's natural to have a bit of a surge of that um, in the morning just as you're waking up. And that's why fasting blood glucose is a measurement that I really don't place that much value in. So this is looking what's happening to your metabolism in the resting state. So as somebody said, it's a difference between looking at a car idling and looking at a car driving down the highway. I've heard that before. So you've got to do this. Put the sugar into the system. Looking at a fasting glucose that may or may not be up because of other hormonal inputs, it's just not that useful. There you go. Um, Richard, do you want to introduce Paul? Yeah. Actually, now what we're going to do is uh, go to our formal interview. We've already kind of introduced uh, uh, Paul Mason. I actually met Paul at a low-carb down-under event in Sydney, mm. I think six months or eight months ago, and both of us are kind of on the spectrum, and both of us are fascinated by similar things, really fascinated by them together, and so we end up going down rabbit holes. It was a conversation which went on and on and on and on. That's great. And yeah. <laughs> well, that one coming. <laughs> well, Paul, um, you don't, I don't have a bio to read, so why don't you give everybody your credentials and tell us, you know, your... Short story. Well, so I'm a sports and exercise medicine physician, and I've also got degrees in physiotherapy and a master's in occupational health. So I've been, uh, when I was a physio, I started my training back in the 90s. So I've been, you know, purportedly giving health advice for a long period of time, and I started out obviously sticking with the uh, low fat dogma, as it were, and I guess I've recanted over the last 20 years or so since then. and. I actually came to the high-fat, low-carb camp, I guess, for personal reasons, because at one stage I had metabolic syndrome. Now, if you have a look at what metabolic syndrome is, it's actually five features. And if you have three of those, you'll be diagnosed and it relates to blood sugar levels and triglycerides and blood pressure and a few of these other things. But basically, I met the diagnostic criteria. And I'm a bit of a type A personality. I used to exercise a lot. Um, I was actually counting the milligrams of salt, sodium that was going into my diet, and I still had really high blood pressure, etc., etc. So I came across a journal editorial in the British Journal of Sports Medicine one day. It was actually authored by uh, Professor Timothy Noakes and uh, Dr. Peter Bruckner, who I 
counts as a, a good friend. And I read that and I thought, these guys are smart, they know what they're on about. But this article's a bit of bollocks. And yeah. uh, let me interpret that for the American audience. <laughs> that means shit. <laughs> but we, we try and nuance it a wee bit We go with that. So anyway, I had a look at the references and wouldn't you know it? Everything stacked up. So over the next couple of days, it was only in the space of a couple of days, I said, I'm going to give this thing a crack. And uh, that was seven or eight years ago, and I've never looked back. And I started practicing with my patients, and as Richard knows, I run a, a metabolic clinic, and we just get some get-out-of-town ridiculous results. And it's incredibly satisfying as a doctor to be able to turn people's lives around and have people lose 30, 40, 50, 60 kilograms and more. The biggest weight loss I've had in a patient is 104 kilograms. Wow. Which, you do the math, that's 220-something pounds. Yeah. So for the, uh, for the Carl's crew. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, first of all, what did you think of this event? This is fantastic. And uh, this is where I need to be. I'm probably leaning a bit towards academia more than I should. And I love statistics and I love science, but that doesn't get the message out in the same way that this does. This is living it. This is food demonstrations, and you know, uh, you won't know from the podcast, but Richard had a lovely handmade orange hat today. And, uh, <laughs> while he was doing his little chef demonstration, there's been some great talks. There's been some uh, just a nice little bit of banter, and this is all about the keto lifestyle. And I think this is going to do more for getting the message out there and the podcast, especially than any amount of uh, you know academic diatribe that I could ever possibly give. Yeah, thank you. We, we, we spend a lot of effort trying to, trying to you know, craft a, a community, and, and yeah, that, that includes a keto fest as well. I mean, our goal is really not so much to put on all the keto fests ourselves, but to show people how it's done and to get keto fests happening all over the world. Because, you know, anyone can run a conference, and there are a lot, as I said, there's lots of academic dry papers that deliver conferences, but, but, you know, somebody being able to have a, a community experience like this is just is just off the hook. Being able to go to a place and know that the food that you eat won't damage right. you. You can trust it. Yeah. And the way that you guys communicate is just fantastic. So, I mean, one thing I learned probably not long enough ago was that you can bore somebody with any amount of statistics, but if you give them a story and give them a narrative and something they can relate to, it makes it real. And you are both have incredible experiences where you've been able to reverse serious health condition that, let's be honest, would have killed both of you. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that resonates powerfully. And, you know, you, and you've communicated this to a worldwide audience. And tell everybody what the theme was for KetoFest then. Yeah, so the theme for the, the first KetoFest was uh, to pay it forward, and the second KetoFest was to, to grow your own community. And this KetoFest, the, the theme is Bring KetoFest Home. So basically to take the idea of, of what we're doing here, of, of having a community event, plus science, plus cooking, plus you know, fellowship, and turn that into, uh, and bring it home to your own community. Your own to your own yeah, and, and, to, and not just the people in this room, but also yeah. our listeners. You know, we, we are doing our best to make sure that, uh, that these kinds of events can happen all over the world. Every time we announce a keto fest and you know, it goes out on Facebook, without fail, Come to Flagstaff, Arizona. Come to you know the Galapagos Islands. So everybody wants a keto fest, and on our response is always the same: Go for it. Make it happen. No, we're, yeah. we're, that's not our job. Our job is 
us to do it in our communities. You know the people in your community that you can use and count on to make it happen. We can't do that. We can't drop ship a keto fest into a community and make it work. There have to be people there with a, with a relationship. But we can certainly help you with pitfalls that we certainly encounter, etc. Anyway, anyway, I digress. We, we digress because we like talking about keto fest. But yeah. back to Paul Mason, I actually uh, visited Paul in his, uh, in his um, rooms in Sydney a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, and uh, he uh, he examined me, and uh, he had me do some blood tests, and uh, I, I actually went through the experience of what it's like to be uh, a patient, uh, of course, and uh, he has um, uh, GPs from all over uh, the region, sort of um, uh, recommending uh, their patients to go see him to, to treat their metabolic um, disease. So uh, that must, Paul, that must be really a, 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 a great thing to have. Uh, people identify the fact that hey, this guy is really having some results, and we need to get our patients to him. It, it really is. A, it's really heartwarming to see that there are some very open-minded health professionals out there who see the results in patients when they go on a keto diet, mm-hmm. and say, so, well, you know, made, acknowledging that they don't necessarily have that experience or expertise themselves, but they're open-minded enough to send the patients on, and it really is benefiting the patients. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a nice little waiting list, so I'm only one doctor. Um, but I tell you what, it's incredibly satisfying work, and, you know, the more doctors we can bring on board with this message, the better. But it's a fun clinic, I enjoy it. Patients get better, they get healthier. We stop them taking their insulin, they lose a bunch of weight. Their reflux goes away, their sleep apnea reverses. I mean, the, the health benefits are myriad. So all the information is out there for anybody to go read and find and understand the science behind the ketogenic diet. There's a lot of fear of fat, right? There's a lot of fear even people who know that it's not going to kill them think it's somewhere in the back of their mind. Oh, I might be, you know, blinding myself up for a heart attack just because of the years of misinformation. So how do you get through to these people? Uh, the, 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 I just personally want to know because I come up against it all the time. Look, uh, I don't know if I should uh, mention any names, but I will say there is a, a quite a well-respected cardiologist in Sydney who now refers me a lot of patients. And the way that came about is because we actually shared patients. Again, so it didn't send me the patient, but we shared them. And I remember one patient vividly who was on maximal medical therapy and had already had all the arteries that could be stented, stented. There wasn't much going on. Their legs were swollen because of heart failure. They had fluid in their lungs again because of heart failure. And it was a ketogenic diet that was able to dial their changes back. And I think when you see something like that, so it's not me convincing the doctor, I think the proof in the pudding, to use a pun, is actually the patient and then the results. So how can you convince the patient is what I mean. I mean. So I I have a very, I believe, a good educational process that we go through the patient. So I think it would be egotistical of me to think, hey, I tell you this because I'm a doctor and you'll leave me. Because the simple fact is, for every one of me, there's been 20 other doctors in the past who have told them the exact opposite. And there's no reason why they should hold my credential up any higher than another doctor. They're both medical degrees, right? So what I like to do is we explain the science. And this is how my very first video that went on YouTube a few years ago, 
is I used to get sick of explaining science to every patient because it's quite in-depth and it's quite laborious to go through it in a way that makes it logical and understood. So I used to do lectures in the clinic where I used to work. Every two weeks we'd have 20 or 30 patients come in and all the patients I'd seen in the previous fortnight would have to sit through that. And I actually made coming back for another appointment with me contingent on them attending that lecture. So that means that every patient I saw was by default well-educated. And I think that was the key. And it, it, it's not a faith-based approach. So I think there's two types of their, uh, medicine. There's what we call eminence-based medicine, which is, trust me, I'm a professor. And then there's evidence-based profession. And I think if you're going to practice evidence-based profession, then you need to educate the patients and bring them in along that journey. I think one thing that's important is a personal epiphany. I think that for both doctors who've, who've gone low carb, as you did, I mean, it was your own metabolic syndrome that gave you the opportunity to, to recognise Correct. this for what it is, mm. and, and that's that strengthened your result. The uh, Labour leader in uh, the UK has just come out and said that he's gone low carb. He's lost a, an amazing amount of weight and reversed his diabetes, and the, the press even put the word reversed in these scare quotes, right. you know, of course they did. But he's out there and professing, it, 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 it's really a, it, and, and for Carl and I, obviously, uh, we would not be nearly as um, as, as good communicators had we not almost lost hope, almost, almost died. And so, you know, this is, a, this is a, I think this is the thing that, that if you can help somebody enough so that they can start to see the benefits, I think they will say, you know, I thought at the first that maybe the eating all the fat would give me a heart attack, but damn it, I just feel so good. Yeah. My diabetes is gone. My doctor doesn't know what the heck is happening. He just wants me to keep doing whatever it is, and yeah. I think that that helps. I think. The, the other thing is that you know we're not doctors, so we don't have the authority that you have. But it's great every time you see a doctor that gets behind the car because you have the, the one-two punch of the authority, of the white lab coat that people respect. And the science, right, and the results of other patients, and that's that's great. It, it's very difficult for a guy like me, especially who's still obese, to convince somebody to go on a ketogenic diet. You know, they didn't see me 80 pounds ago when I was 366 and diabetic, and certainly headed towards heart attacks and losing toes and digits. But they, you know, but it's easier for I think it, it's necessary for doctors to get behind this. Because they're the ones that can influence their patients to follow the right path. And I think you hit the nail on the head there. I'm, at the end of the day, I am in a privileged position, having an MBBS or an MD, as you guys would say. It does give me a little bit of extra authority. Now, it doesn't mean that I know him, but in the eyes of a lot of the public, it gives me that credibility. But probably just on the, uh, the topic of doctors, other doctors coming around, it's probably worth mentioning Dr. Jerome Scher. So he's actually my partner in the clinic at Low Carb Doctors. Yeah. And uh, so he didn't actually have a personal health epiphany, which I think makes his story even more interesting. He actually was just convinced based on the science. Hmm. Now, effectively, so he's an orthopedic surgeon, and he actually used to see a lot of patients who wanted surgery, wanted knee replacements and the like, but he thought they don't need this operation. If they could just lose 50 kilograms or 20 kilograms or 10 kilograms, they may not need the knee operation. 
And he's actually part of a group practice, and it's a very good group practice where they try and follow the evidence. And a couple of the orthopaedic surgeons at that practice in the past have actually made a habit of referring every overweight patient to a, a, a conventional dietitian and then tracking their results. And the results they found after one year was zip. Wow. No effect. And then I actually uh, assist him in surgery. And, you know, the surgery's long, we have time to chat. I used to chew his ear and often about it a bit. And he finally rang me up one day and he goes, I'm sick of this. I'm seeing people who don't need operations because they're overweight and one or two things happen. I tell them they need to lose weight and I'll either go to your dietitian and fail, or they'll just go to another surgeon and you'll do whatever operation it is without, you know, without losing weight. He goes, you're telling me about this diet that I'm a sports and exercise medicine physician, that you're putting athletes on, elite level athletes, up to Olympic level athletes, and you're getting good results. Would it work for them? How's it? Possible. It would, you know, this would be ideal. And to Deron's credit, he took the ball by the horse and said, right, I'm going to open up a clinic. All I had to do was turn up. He sorted out the clinic stuff. And so we started out as a weight loss clinic for arthritis. Our goal was not to reverse diabetes. That was just an unintended consequence. We were just wanting to stop people having unnecessary operations. And so about a third of patients that um, come through in terms of uh, needing the operations or the like, they cancel their operation full stop. They don't need an unnecessary operation. And about another third of them, they're like, okay, I don't need it right now, I might have it in the future, but they postponed it. So, I mean, this is absolutely incredible. Now, I suspect that Dron's probably going to have to downsize his house. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a remarkable man in many ways. Eh? Yeah. But uh, keeps going on, he'll be living in a tent. <laughs> right. Well, uh, it, it's worth mentioning what we did with Martin this morning. And a little bit of science at the end of Science Breaking, because we haven't talked about it yet on the show. It just happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Carl and I did a presentation. We had uh, three science presentations from Ron Cher and from Paul Mason and from Jessica Turpin. And then Carl and I did a little bit of a science presentation where we hooked Carl up to a machine and we measured his respiratory exchange ratio. Right. And metabolic rate, and also his metabolic efficiency. It was quite interesting because it, it, it was we, what we were doing was measuring how much oxygen he breathes in, how much oxygen he breathes back out. So the, the difference there was how much he used, which then tells us what his metabolic rate was, and how efficient his mitochondria is. Right. And we also knew from how much oxygen he breathed in and how much CO2 he breathed out exactly what fuel he was using. And so it was a fascinating experience because. The, the guy who did the, the, the presentation, Martin, um, he's been, been on the show before. Yes, yeah, he's been on the show before talking about innovation. Yeah. This time around, he showed his results compared with Carl's, and we asked the audience, okay, who thinks that, uh, that Carl is a better fat burner than, than Martin? And Carl's quite, you know, if you don't mind me, quite a piece of shorter. Yeah. Martin is, is less obese and taller. Yeah. And, and you know, you can jump to the conclusion, well, Martin is obviously burning fat better than, than Carl. Uh, you could also, I mean, and there was also the, the question of whose metabolic rate was, was higher. Right. And you could say, well, you know, Carl is obviously larger, so therefore his metabolic rate should be larger. Yeah. In fact, it was the opposite. And, and, right. and who, had, who was most metabolically fit? And you might say, well, you know, the guy who's less obese is probably most metabolically fit. Well, coincidentally, Carl was more metabolically fit too. 
So it was an interesting experience, it was an interesting uh, opportunity to look at these metabolisms. What I really loved about it was that you know the people who didn't even need to understand the science, they they just they understood the dichotomy. You know, the dichotomy is what you see isn't always what's going on, mm. and uh, that, I think that was a really valuable lesson. But uh, I thought it was great, Warren. Thank you. Round of applause for Warren. Yeah, well, Paul, what was your opinion about that little experiment? Well, I'd like to be humble, but I'm not. I'm going to brag. I went on at Martin afterwards, and uh, I had a respiratory quotient at exactly 0 0.7, which means wow. it's equivalent to 100% fat burning. So uh, <laughs> this was after a uh, about 14 hours of fasting. So the last meal I had was actually uh, some delicious meat at Richard's uh, house last night for the VIP event. Yeah. And uh, it was uh, deliciously fatty. Uh, didn't eat anything at all, no milk, no coffee this morning. I was just running a wee bit late as I normally am. I was writing presentations. Mm -hmm. um, so I was, I was very happy with that result. So, I mean, you haven't alluded to the science too much, but basically you can have a look at the amount of CO2 which is expired, compare that to the amount of oxygen that is uh, being used, mm -hmm. and you come up with a, a ratio. And 0 0.7 is 100% fat burning, and 1.0 is 100% carbohydrate metabolism. So I'm down the extreme end as 100% fat burner. Yeah. Yeah. Very one of us. As are both of us. And I think a lot of ketogenic people would be sure. the most part down there, because we found that the reason the able to go down that end whether we're able to easily go up the other end is another question, and that, that's something that my glucose tolerance test brought into focus because it appeared to me, and I'd, I'd be very interested in your analysis of it, it, it appeared to me that, that I was able to dispose of the glucose quite directly. I don't know if you want to chat about your spike and your little hypo afterwards. But I mean, uh, yeah. you had a very nice spike, it was very short lived, it was very quick, so that does suggest that you're very carbohydrate, you know, you deal with carbs quite well, so whether you were glycogen deplete beforehand or not. I suspect not because we know that people on long-term ketogenic diets, they actually replenish the glycogen supplies um, despite the prevailing belief that people on ketogenic diets are glycogen deplete. That's simply not true. Right. So, and that's one of the reasons I alluded to in the Q&A before um, the science on the need to carb load before the craft testing. I've, I've done a lot of patients with carb loading and a lot of patients without carb loading and quite honestly, there's not that much difference between the two. And if you do end up with a bit of an attenuated insulin response, sure. then that, that's always pretty obvious because you're, you're measuring the insulin, you've got it in front of you. Yeah. It was an interesting experience for me because uh, there I was willfully eating glucose after four years of, of intentionally well, watching it. Here's a question for you, Richard. So that felt like a, a god awful amount of glucose that you were drinking in that bottle. Yeah. How, what equivalency with wheat mix? Now, do you guys know what we mean by wheat mix? Sure, yeah. Cereal, right? Yeah, little, little biscuits of wheat. We call shredded wheat. No, they're not sure. How, what's here? They're, no. like, they're like pressed briquettes. Oh, okay. This is an Australian institution, so right. we really need you to understand. Please. So, so just for the, uh, those who know what wheat mix are, how many wheat mix would you think would be equivalent to that test? 7.5. So it's actually not a huge amount. People are thinking they're having a god-awful amount of glucose when you're doing the craft test, but you're actually not. You know, if you have a bowl of crunchy nut cornflakes with a bit of milk and a bit of sugar or something, it's going to be exactly the same. 
So we think it's a you know a get out of town awful amount, but this is an amount of sugar that people are consuming every day of their lives. You know, for each meal. Yeah, a lot of pregnant women, or at least women who've had had children and been tested for gestational diabetes, warned me about the test. Now I didn't find it to be that bad. For me, it tasted like flat lemonade, flat Sprite. That's a polite term compared to what you use the other. Yeah. Time. Well, so insipid. Yeah, it was a little bit insipid, but 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 a lot of these a lot of these women who've who've had the, the test said they were told before the test that it tastes a bit like orange sherbet, but then after the test they realised it tastes more like orange sherbet just sneezed. <laughs> <laughs> like slimy and nasty. So uh, yeah, was it viscous? Well, oh. I mean, it must have taken a lot. Of, I mean, yeah, I, I can't imagine a syrup, but for me, it was it was just it was, it was just like weak, weak uh, lemonade. No, Paul, we're leaving that in. That's gold. <laughs> That's gold right there. It's like that. <laughs> so there's this thing: uh, inside words and outside words. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what can we all do? Uh, when we go home from here, stop listening to this podcast. What can we all do to, uh, to help bring about change? For me personally, I, I think I'm going to take home the importance of narrative and trying to communicate through narrative more than just numbers. And I, I think everybody in the audience here can, can be that narrative. I'm booked out in my clinic because of word of mouth. Every patient who loses 20 kilograms, they have... Everybody in their life comes up and asks them, how did you do that? Now, sure, half of those people are not going to believe them when they said they lost their weight on a high-fat diet, but everybody can be their own walking billboard. And I think a lot of people are afraid to admit that they've actually lost their weight by being on a high-fat diet because they get such an incredulous response. And I think maybe embrace the message. And... We are seeing a bit of a sea change, and I've been saying this for over five years, but I honestly believe it now. I think we are seeing a sea change, and I think that if everybody can embrace the message, don't shy away or resile from the fact that you get magnificent results on a ketogenic diet, and if people ask you, be open, be communicative. I think that's probably what I'll do. Yes, I did ask for three more pats of butter for my ribeye. Yes, I did. And then you wait it for breakfast, and that's okay. <laughs> so, Paul, you've got an upcoming uh, an event in uh, Sydney in November, right? Yeah, well, probably the highlight, we're, on the 10th of November, we're doing a low-carb conference at Sydney University, and I think the highlight is going to be the esteemed MC, who's going to be Mr. Richard Morris. But, uh, <laughs> and I'm actually going to be between two exams, Absolutely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we don't expect anything less than full preparation. No. Now, um, <laughs> the exams can wait. Yeah, they can. Now, they can. this is actually going to be a really fun conference. So this will be the third conference that we've done at Sydney University now. Um, again, we're getting some notable speakers. We're having uh, Dr. Peter Bruckner, um, Mr. Low Carb himself, uh, Rod Taylor from yeah. Low Carb Down Under. Yeah. Um, he's the founder of this magnificent group. He'll be there. We're going to have uh, a dietitian panel, which will include Jessica Turton. Uh, we're going to have a cardiologist. We're going to have doctors talking about uh, 
red meat and, you know, is it really that deleterious for our health after all, all this cancer scare, this kind of stuff. And then we're going to try and have some practical sessions as well, you know. One thing we haven't done a lot of in the past is what you guys do so well is, you know, how do you live this? What foods do you eat? How do you, how do you cook for a family? So we're going to try and include a wee bit more practical stuff and then open Q&A panels to answer anybody's questions. So I'm always excited. Um, and on the uh, Thursday before, that must be about, uh, it's in October actually, it's a month or so before, we've got Steve Finney and uh, Jay Kushner coming out. We're having an evening at Sydney Uni. Um, so there'll be three of us presenting, myself, Steve and Jake. And that's going to be a cracker of an evening too. I think it's probably not going to be so uh, beginner level that we're going to be, you know, tracking around in the weeds a little bit by chemistry, but <laughs> I think it's going to be a good night if you're uh, interested in uh, just upping your low-carb knowledge a wee bit more. And where can we find out about that? So if you go to lowcarbdownunder.com.au, um, I think the Sydney event is not quite posted yet, but I might uh, tap right on the shoulder and see if we can get that put up in the next hour too. By the time this podcast is being aired, it should be up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a website with my clinic partner, John Sher, and we're uh, trying to uh, broaden our reach with other doctors at lowcarbdoctors.com.au. And we've got a bunch of videos up there, and we're, we're trying to get more promotional um, material out there. It's all free, it's all educational. Um, I don't have secrets. If I learn something, you know, you know, I love to share it. So it's all on the website. Great. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Well, buddy, are you hungry at all? I'm a little bit puckish. Actually, no, I've got the curse of keto. Yeah. I'm not hungry in the slightest. Right. I'm not going to eat for like a week. <laughs> I'm not going to eat for a week either, but, you know, we have an obligation to share some... Uh, so I Sorry, think man. I'm going to share a recipe that I cooked last night. Yeah. And okay. this is the clotted cream. Uh, now, I've, I've, we've shared a video of clotted cream before, but this was, right. a, this was a recipe I, I cooked to basically make a dessert. And the, the only ingredient is cream, so it's not that difficult. Right. The thing is you need to have a cream that doesn't have any thickener in it. Right. No uh, jaggers or carrageen or anything like that. Um, you just want just pure cream. And in Australia, if it says pure cream, by law, it has to be only cream. I don't think I've ever seen a pure cream in my grocery store. And you have to go to like a dairy for it. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes hard. There is actually a brand called Pura Cream, which yeah. is not always pure. There is a pure cream, pure cream product, which is. But no, it's, okay. it's just confusing everyone, which is a shame. But anyway, so you have to have some cream. Now, I started off with eight uh, 600ml containers of Dairy Farmers Pure Cream. 600ml of the pint. So I have eight, eight pints of cream. And it made enough clotted cream for 30 people to have uh, cream and berries for dessert. And uh, there's plenty, there was plenty of that. Everyone, everyone had had an adequate sufficiency. Right. And so what you do for this is you, uh, you need to find some hotel pans or some large aluminum pans that have got a fairly large surface area. Basically what you do is you're going to put it in the oven at 180 Fahrenheit or roughly 85 Celsius and you're going to cook it for about 12 hours. And what happens, and it's a low, slow temperature, what happens is the, the fats go to the top and then once, and once it's cooked for 12 hours, you then let it go to room temperature and then you put it in the fridge and leave it in the fridge for another 12 hours. 
and then you scoop off the top of it, and the stuff under the underneath is like it's not whey; it's just it's just it's almost like a cheese, it's like cream. But the, the stuff on the top is like cheese. It's like a cream cheese that is sweet, and it's only cream. There's nothing else in it other than cream, and it goes delicious with berries. The stuff down the bottom you can use in your coffee. Yeah. So it's just it's just like a light cream. So that's my recipe. All right. I gotta admit, I'm phoning it in this week. This is a recipe that I haven't made, but looking at it, it fits with uh, everything that I know about these ingredients and how they would work together. And it's literally on his phone. It's literally on my phone. I'm reading it, and this is from a low carb cafe. First of all, who misses chicken francaise? It's chicken francaise. It's chicken francaise. You're in a foreign country, buddy. <laughs> okay, now I miss chicken francaise. So chicken francaise is essentially a chicken breast pounded thin, and it's in an egg batter, and sautéed lightly. It's very soft and very delicious, but butter and lemon is the sauce. It's schnitzel. It's a schnitzel. It's a schnitty. <laughs> You say schnitzel, I say chicken francais. No, it's not quite schnitzel. A schnitzel is is more crispy, isn't it? This is a this is a soft egg batter. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, this is called roll your eyes back chicken francais. I like that. And uh, so you get four bowls chicken breast pounded thin or cutlets. Just as a side note, I usually when I'm cooking chicken, I like to use thigh meat because it tastes better to me, but sometimes a, a flat rounded chicken breast is good too. Uh, two eggs beaten, tablespoon of water, a quarter of a cup of grated Parmesan cheese, a little chopped fresh parsley, three tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, a third of a stick, plus one tablespoon of salted butter. Mm. <laughs> quarter of a cup of dry white wine, a tablespoon of fresh squeezed lemon juice, salt, pepper. So it's, see, you're just you hear the ingredients, you know what to do, right? This is a, these, these recipes are just kind of funny because they, they seem so scientific and exact, but I look at these recipes, oh yeah, I can make that. I know what to do here. Anyway, I'll read it. Clean and dry the chicken. Pound it until thin. Do you, do you guys use those hammers, the pounding hammers? Everybody's yeah, pounding. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes between two sheets of saran wrap. Yeah, yeah. I have to use something like that. Yeah, saran wrap will probably break when I use something there. So you pound it until it's thin. Uh, you season with salt and pepper, and you, you mix the egg wash, which is the eggs and water, parmesan and parsley. See, usually, if I was going to make fried chicken, I'd put in an egg wash and then take pork rinds and parmesan together. But they say put the parmesan and the parsley in the bowl with the water and eggs, which is different. You're going to get a soft egg bag. Uh, you cook the chicken, and you basically heat up the olive oil and a third of the stick of butter, uh, and the garlic and the skillet until fragrant and hot. Cook it on medium heat. Each side about six minutes. You want it to be almost cooked. When you remove it, keep it warm. That's when you add the wine and lemon juice to the skillet. And you uh, uh, reduce it on high heat while scraping all the good stuff off the bottom. That's the fun. Uh, salt and pepper that sauce to taste. And that lemon butter flavored sauce goes smooth right over it. And uh, so you return the chicken to the pan, you coat it with the sauce, turn it over, you cover it tightly, you want to cook it on low for 20 minutes. And then it just absorbs all of that delicious sauce. Mm. And that's my recipe. That's not a snake. Nah. It's yeah.
So that's a show, right? That's, that's what's our gear face, too. That's a, that's yeah, a yeah. gear face down under is a wrap. It is. Of course, if you have anything you want to tell us, something you said wrong, something you don't agree with, more research you can explore with you. Send it by email to dudes.tukulabood.com or post it on our website. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at dudes. Make sure you use the hashtag dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free Tukulabood, I'm scrolling to Tukulabood.com. You can have a look around this Eastern Forum that includes the success of Jim And a piece of swag is your fancy, like t shirts, coffee mugs, and all that other junk that we keto stands on. Head over to gear.2keto.com. And if you want to show it against someone's fake, before you join the 2 Keto Dudes fan club, you'll be able to tune something in every show. So, fan club, And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, Think about making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.tukio.com. You can also see all of our podcasts and our videos on YouTube at youtube.tukio.com. And if you haven't already, please go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. Ladies and gentlemen, keep calm and be alive. Yeah, I'm going to do it.